Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Amy April. Uh, She's an associate scientist in marine chemistry and geochemistry. She's at Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution. We're going to talk about uh, ecology and microorganisms that uh, surround various ecologies and creatures. So, Amy, thanks for coming. Thank you, Richard. Thanks for having me. So what is it that you're, uh, what's the focus of your study? Is it, you know, is it oceans? Is it, uh, you know, other areas and what kind of creatures? Yeah, so we're focused on the ocean and we're focused on sensitive animals of the ocean, really. Um, But we don't study the animals, we study their microbes. So uh, about half of my lab studies coral reefs, um, especially coral associated microbes. And about half Mm. the lab studies marine mammals and their associated microbiomes. Yeah, I spoke to someone about coral. They they probably referred you. I didn't realize that it's um, such a complicated ecosystem. I guess you have the, the coral itself, and then you have the uh, the algae, the other creatures that live on it, and then the other more creatures that predate those creatures. And it's like a it's like a holobiont. I guess it's it's like a multicellular, multi creature uh, composite. Absolutely, and they're they're rocks. They're animals. They have plants, <laughs> um, and then they live within the most biodiverse environment in the ocean too. So there's a lot going on with, with corals and coral reefs. So if there's a typical coral, what's it made of? Like what is the, uh, the, the bone of it made of? Yeah. So the, they grow, um, calcium carbonate skeleton. So it's actually aragonite. Um, and they have their own, um, tissue layers that are, um, soft fleshy tissues made of some of the same, types of tissue layers and cell layers um, that you might find in other animals. And then the other really cool thing that they have on their surface is a mucus layer. So um, they're basically surrounded by slime. Um, And this is their main protective layer against um, the other organisms that surround them. And so kind of one of the neat things about a coral is when you look at them on a reef, they don't have anything sitting on them. Like there'll be a lot of other organisms, like even sponges that might have, you know, a little shrimp or a little fish sitting on them, but corals, you rarely have that. So that mucus layer plays a pretty important role. Um, and that, those are, those are just the parts that we see. <laughs> well, if I, if I dove down and I broke a piece of coral off, the internal structure, is it soft? And is there, is it like a circulatory system or, you know, what does the interior of a piece of coral look like? Yeah, so it's actually this big gastrovascular sac or cavity, um, and so the, there's um, it's it's can hold fluids, and fluids can um, move between the different polyps that corals have. So they actually are colonial organisms um, that are composed of you know just depending on the species, tens of thousands of different polyps that are all interconnected um, by their tissues. And so yeah, so the the inside of it is fleshy. But the base of it, that's the rock. That's the aragonite that makes the reef structure, um, that makes the 
the hard um, reef, which provides a lot of habitat for other animals. In the slime, is that a biofilm of, uh, is that coral cells themselves, or is that a biofilm of you know, some bacteria that just happens to hang out next to the coral? Yeah, it's a combination. So the corals are producing this like proteinous polysaccharide type substance. It's kind of similar to the mucus we make in our bodies. And then it's heavily colonized by bacteria. And we think that um, those bacteria are also providing protection to the coral. It also seems to be that the the composition of that mucus is helping farm the bacteria, um, recruit certain bacteria that, that live there. And those bacteria in turn play this protective role for the corals by producing antibiotics and other kinds of inhibitory substances for pathogens. So the mucus is, a, is really complex and it's composed both of coral cells and of, you know, its own microbiome bacteria. Exactly, right. Huh. Any other, are there any like photosynthetic creatures that are also part of the slime or do they sit on top of it or adjacent to it? Well, these corals have photosynthetic algae in their tissues, so they're um, intracellular symbionts. And um, then within that mucus layer, they don't they don't typically have a lot of photosynthetic organisms. So sometimes you can get photosynthetic bacteria near corals. They do eat those photosynthetic bacteria, but they don't tend to hang out on the slime so much. Yeah, what does the coral eat, and what what waste does it produce? And yeah, that's a that's a great, those are all great questions. Um, so the corals get about 80 or 90% of their nutrition from these algae in their tissues. Um, so these are photosynthetic algae. They're harvesting lights, energy. They're making um, carbohydrates, glucose that are feeding the coral, um, but they can also eat um, and they do ingest. It was always thought that they ingested like zooplankton, like fairly like larger small larger animals um on reefs small-ish large animals like shrimps um but recently we've seen evidence that they're also eating bacteria which are way more abundant on the reef than the shrimps and so they also seem to be specific and like the more nutritious bacteria um that they're ingesting um so that's how how do they how do they ingest them do the bacteria get enmeshed in the slime and then internalized into the cells? Like, how does it eat? Yeah, so they have these, um, they have tentacles um, that are that the coral is putting up into just the water right above them. And those tentacles have stinging cells called nematocysts um, on them. And so that's one mechanism they use to, to capture um, and bring in the prey, stun the prey and bring them in. Um, and so it, it does seem to be like there's some choice, though, in what the coral is doing. So they have some ability to recognize what might be tasty or not. Um, but it, it does seem to be a pretty active process. But then things are definitely getting caught in the slime. Um, and they're likely being ingested through the, the mouth as well. If you have a coral, let's say it's like, you know, I don't know, it's not straight, but it's five feet long. Do you think that, you know, one end of the coral communicates to the other end? internally through its, you know, its backbone or its internal skeleton, or is there exterior stuff that's released that floats and then other parts of the same coral pick it up? I mean, do you think it, it has a sense of self that it is one thing or is each cell, uh, you know, it's weird. How does it structure itself? How does it know how big to get, where to go, where to grow, et cetera? Any, any insight into that? Right. Absolutely. I mean, they're incredibly complex creatures 
um, you know, as, as colonial organisms, they do have some sense of what the cells nearby are doing. And so um, a pretty typical reaction to a coral, um, if it's disturbed either like an animal where it happened to come by very closely or a diver and it had its tentacles out, it would bring them in and it would bring them in kind of in this very synchronous way, a wave almost across the, the surface of the corals, sort of like a um, you know, wave going through a stadium. So the, the communication appears to be within the closest cells. And does the coral have roots? I mean, it, it seems to be like a plant in a way or like a fungus mycelium, like, you know, on the ocean floor, it has to anchor. Yeah. So does anyone look below the ocean floor and see if it's different? Does it have roots? It, it doesn't really have roots. Um, so it, it cements itself with that aragonite to generally rocks or some kind of a harder substrate on the, on the reef. Even dead coral can be a place where the, the coral anchors itself. Um, and so when they settle, they're actually single polyps. I mean, they're, they're actually planktonic larvae. So when these things are, um, when they reproduce, um, they'll either spawn eggs and sperm or they actually will pop out full grown larvae. And so then that larva has to find a place on the reef to settle. So we think that there's um, chemical sensing that goes on with the coral and, you know, the place that it finds. Um, but there's oh, some okay. recent, but... yeah, recent evidence that also suggests that they might be able to um, hear <laughs> in a very different way than you and I hear. It's um, particle motion. So the motion of the water um, and that that particle motion is partially made up of fish noises. So we also think that corals might be able to sense some of those acoustic cues, which would help them find a reef that might be more inhabited by life, which might they might be more successful there than a, a vacant reef that doesn't have any other life. So you're studying particularly the uh, the microbiome of the coral or the virome or like what exactly yeah. So I focus on the microbes. So it's lucky that I know anything about the actual coral itself to tell you about. <laughs> well, okay. So in different parts of the coral, have you sampled to see if there's different microbes that that hang out at uh, you know at the anchor points versus the points where the nematocysts come out? You know, do the nematocysts themselves have certain microbes that associate with them? Like you know how how much sampling have you done to look? Yeah, so within the coral, we know that we found that there's different microbes that inhabit that mucus layer, then inhabit um, the tissues, then inhabit the skeleton. So those three areas are distinct. Within the tissue layers, That's it's been more challenging to study on that kind of level, so we don't have as much understanding. We've done some microscopy um, of the bacterial communities that we that we've detected and so we find some that are like heavily concentrated around the uh, on the tentacles even around the nematocysts um, and sometimes we find others within the gut cavity um, so it really suggests that they have different roles within the coral depending on where they live um, and kind of one of the most exciting things I guess I've been involved in in um, helping discover is that many corals have um, basically the same bacterial symbionts that live with them. So we've known for a while that they have some of the same algae in their tissues, but the bacterial community was always seen as this like really diverse community. And um, we've shown that there's these specific um, bacteria belonging to this genus Endozoicomonas, and the name actually means endo is living within zoo and animal. 
Um, and indeed, these endozoic kimonos live within um, the tissues of many coral species um, throughout the world. And so it does seem to be a really um, conserved relationship that they have. So what big questions are you trying to answer specifically about the bacteria, like their role in keeping the coral alive or, you know, uh, I don't know. Yeah, so the role in coral health, that's a pretty big one. Um, and, and, and their role in nutrient um, cycling as well. So corals live in a pretty deficient, as ter in terms of nutrient, a pretty nutrient poor region of the ocean. Yet there's this tremendous amount of biomass. So um, like I live in Cape Cod here off the East Coast and the waters are just super nutrient rich, but they're not nearly as biodiverse as a coral reef. And so we think that the bacteria and then the relatives, the archaea, um, which are also um, similar size microbes play a pretty big role in that nutrient cycling on coral reefs. What we've been working with a lot in my lab is looking at the microbes that live in the water above and, and right next to the coral. So um, studying the coral microbes itself is, has been challenging for just a lot of reasons. Um, but for years, folks have had great methods to study seawater microbes. And so um, there's a student in my lab that discovered um, a whole microbial community basically living within the 30 centimeters surrounding corals. Um, so like from the surface of the coral, just out 30 centimeters. And then she found a microbial community there that's so different than if you were to look just a meter off that reef, if you were to go up even higher from the coral. And so we well, think that's that- that's what I was gonna ask you, right. If the water is not super, I don't know, if it doesn't move a lot, what does the, the water look like, you know, uh, half an inch off the surface of the coral is it different from an inch or so away or three inches away yeah so i mean visibly the water looks the same um to to you and i and if we were to measure a lot of the bulk macromolecules and nutrients like they're basically similar as well um, but microbes can be a little can be more sensitive uh, indicators of of that environment than we can even acknowledge using some of our chemical analyses and so the, the community itself changes and so the coral the microbes living right next to the coral are generally what we call copiotrophic microbes so these are microbes that like fairly high nutrient environments and then if we go just a meter off that coral we find more of these oligotrophic microbes so they don't need as many nutrients to survive they're used to surviving in lower nutrient conditions so we think that the coral itself is um, exuding molecules into that water that's kind of farming these microbes that are living there, causing them to grow. And then the other cool thing is that in that zone around the coral, we found a lot of um, cells that, that can live as symbionts with corals. So potentially the coral is also helping recruit its bacterial symbionts to, to come and live with them by exuding these, these chemicals. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. Oh, you think it's releasing chemicals into the, the ambient water and that attracts, it, they're carried by the currents, I guess, and is a gradient and that attracts bacteria and other creatures. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of motion on a reef, even though it may look quite still. Um, there's a lot of um, boundary currents. And so so there's there's some recruitment that happens just on that coral colony level, um, but but also those molecules are, are swept across the reef. Um, and then we're also working with a, a chemist, Elizabeth Kujawinski. Um, she's also, her lab's right next door to mine um, at our institution. And she has really sophisticated methods to 
identify some of these metabolites. Some of them are known, some of them are totally unknown. We can just um, measure their um, mass to charge spectra with mass spectrometry. But um, what we're trying to do is, is determine, you know, what is the chemical composition of reef, coral reef water look like? How does it differ between healthy and not so healthy reefs? And then also ask some of these questions about are, are microbes in the water growing off some of these compounds that the corals are exuding? Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting. Have you studied uh, artificial reefs or dead corals to see if they're truly dead or what activity is going on there compared them? Yeah, so we've definitely studied some reefs that are not as healthy. Um, so they don't have nearly as many corals on them. They have a lot more of this fleshy macroalgae. And then we've also been studying this invasive um, kind of crust. Um, it's a crustose coralline algae that's moving over a lot of the rocks and dead coral. It's actually even overgrowing and killing coral um, on some Caribbean reefs. It's called Ramacrusta. So we're also trying to understand why it's so successful and is, is part of its success just due to, you know, the molecules that it's producing and are those molecules capable of, of killing the coral itself. So have you observed, I mean, I know I asked you to characterize it in two seconds, but even amongst healthy corals or amongst corals in different oceans, et cetera, like how much difference is there? Is it tremendous? Even ones in the same ocean that are maybe a few meters away from each other, you know, what have you observed? Right. Um, so as far as coral communities go, the hosts, um, we have different coral species living in Caribbean and Pacific reefs. So that's been due to just the, um, the geographic separation between the oceans. Um, but then the coral community that you have, for example, well, we've been working a lot in Cuba on some of those um, Cuban reefs does definitely differ based on the physical flow environment of the reef. So the, the corals, there's corals that are more adapted and do better in reefs that have a lot of energy on them, have a, like waves breaking over them. And then there's other corals um, that tend to be these like really large mounding corals that grow really well in the lagoon environments with um, still have some water motion, but not nearly as much. Um, so, so physical oceanography, the flow of the water, the delivery of nutrients plays, plays a role in what kinds of corals grow there. Are there any animals that tend to, you know, rub up against the corals? And if so, have you looked at their microbiome to see if there's a, a transfer? A yeah, that's, of it? that's a good question. You know, where, where are all these microbes coming from? There's so many other organisms on the reef that could be carrying them. Uh, we haven't done much of that research in my lab yet. Um, I've seen a couple other studies by like parrotfish that do graze on coral um, and the, the interaction and delivery of microbes there. Uh, I have a colleague too that's studying the, um, the cleaning symbiosis on, on coral reefs. So there's these cleaner wrasses um, and, and other species that will um, basically pick little parasites and dead skin off some of the larger fish on the reef, such as the grouper. Um, and um, there's a potential that there's a lot of microbial transfer going on in those kind of interactions. Um, and, you know, the, all, both these fish are like defecating on the reef. They're contributing microbes that are raining down on corals that way too. So there's just like a plethora of microbial interactions on a reef. And we've just kind of at that, we're at the tip of the iceberg of really even characterizing some of these relationships. Any other animals that are of particular interest to you that maybe appear to be, um, you know, ones that spread bacteria from one place to another? Let's see. Well, I think migratory 
reef fish um, are, are fairly interesting as well, especially those that go between different reef environments. They have um, the potential to really um, spread microbes between reefs. I guess invasive organisms too, that's something I think a lot about now. I mean, unfortunately we're focused so much now on like negative changes in the ocean. And so, you know, these invasive organisms such as lionfish, um, sometimes these um, sea stars can get out of, can grow to densities that are unhealthy. Um, so all of those organisms as well, when they reach like a capacity that we're not used to seeing on a reef, have the potential to really change some of the microbial relationships and interactions that are happening in those environments. And then the big invasive species is humans. Um, and so we, we know that we have ourselves a big impact on these reefs. Um, not so much, you know, the one or two um, people a year or a month, you know, snorkeling on these reefs, but it's really when um, there's development nearby, if there's a reef that's just heavily, you know, seen by hundreds of tourists a day, I mean, we all are, are then um, contributing to various disturbances in that environment, um, in, including disrupting just the normal microbial relationships that some of these organisms like corals have. Are there any corals and spots that would help you study those areas, like corals and dead zones, uh, corals in places that have been overfished, corals in uh, places that have algal blooms, and any correlation of so? Yeah, so so that's a great question. Um, so we've been doing some of that work with our um, research in Cuba, which has some of the most protected coral reefs in the Caribbean. So like just one of the things that, that I really wanted to do with my science, of course, I wanted to go and dive really nice places. That's like really my secret. But, um, but I also wanted to get an understanding of like what a healthy coral reef looks like, not only from a visual standpoint, but also from the microbial ecology standpoint, because basically the, the baseline, the normalcy has changed for many of these reef environments, um, especially those in the Caribbean. Um, and so Cuba and reefs in this region called the Gardens of the Queen in Southern Cuba provided us an opportunity to kind of like go back in time a little bit and see what a healthy coral reef looks like. And so we compared that to the Florida Keys which is one of the most disturbed reef ecosystems in the Caribbean. Um, and what we found is, you know, just the seawater microbes alone were really different. Um, so those in offshore Cuba, off those reefs, had just so many more of the photosynthetic microbes in the water um, than those in Florida. And those are the microbes that are really the base of that food chain. They're providing all this primary production to the waters, even though they're really small um, cells um they're really substantially important to that ecosystem has anyone tried to you know take photography or video of a coral and then make a 3d rendering see if it grows according to certain rules as a structure there's definitely a lot going on right now with um, 3d rendering and photogrammetry of corals but predictions of growth um i don't know that's a that's a good question i haven't seen anything along those lines yet but that doesn't mean it's not happening well, I mean, I'm picturing the the coral that's that sees the sun filtering down through the water. Then there's an underside, and then if coral grows above other coral, then you're going to have stuff that's blocked, just like a forest. So I would think there'd be a preferential movement of certain microbes, like the juiciest, most photosynthetic spots versus others. I see. Okay, so can you predict what the microbial kind of community or um, landscape is throughout different parts? 
different topography. Well, also, also, too, let's say you want to um, rehab a coral, you know, one that's been broken or you want to make a artificial one. I bet you there's going to be an idealized structure that would be most conducive to microbes, the right spacing, the right size, the right dimensions, the, you know, a certain percentage of them can have photosynthetic access. You know what I mean? Like, what does the ideal structure look like and why? Right. Well, I mean, right now we know that that these, you know, Gardens of the Queen Reefs provide some more of that structure. So some of that are these um, Elkhorn corals. These are endangered corals in the Caribbean that um, provide a unique um, habitat structure. So there is actually a lot of structure there that could be studied in more detail. Um, and then, you know, our longer lived corals, which are really important as far as reef building themselves as well, are very mounding. Um, so there, there's definitely gradients in light, um, temperature, um, even oxygen that develop in those kinds of habitats. Um, and really that hasn't been studied in great detail in relation to these microbial communities. Yeah, it'd be hard to study it too, but I'm sure it would affect them big time. You know, the, if you have a coral sitting on the ocean floor, the coral pieces near the ocean floor probably be very different from the ones that are hanging up high. You know, what if they're like, I don't know, 10 feet above them? They're in a very different environment with currents and with fish and access and everything. And oh, stuff the bottom. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and you do, I mean, that, that's part of how differential species um, distribution, you know, is, is related to the light environment and to the water circulation. Um, but I guess for going back to the microbes, it's really like the coral species itself has a big impact on what microbes surround it. Um, and so there seems to be some kind of hierarchy in what's important to the microbes. And, and I think the host chemistry, the exudates coming off, um, probably plays even a bigger role than some of those other factors that are more oceanographic, at least for the microbes that are living in pretty intimate association with the corals. Well, very good. Anything um, you sense that you're uh, getting close to a breakthrough on in terms of understanding them? We're trying, that's for sure. <laughs> um, we're certainly putting as much technology and expertise into these um, studies as we can. Very good, April. What's the best way for people to find out more about your work? Oh, so I have a website at the um, on the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution website where we call ourselves HUI, W-H-O-I. Um, so if you go to um, that webpage, you should be able to find my my lab website, we're the um, Microbial Ecology for Ocean Conservation Lab, since we work on these sensitive animals and ecosystems of the ocean. Um, and I'd be very happy to have uh, more visitors to check out our science. Well, very good. Well, thanks for coming, April. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.